Howdy, folks. Today, we are going to talk about 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. Before we get into that, I got a cool email the other day from Anuj over at Feedspot, and they ranked the 40 best podcasts coming out of El Paso. And according to their rankings, which I'm not sure how their database is sorted, but uh, ESPN 600 was the first, Borderland Crimes was the second, Better News Podcast the third, and then Words of Truth from the Scriptures the fourth. So top 40, number four, pretty cool stuff. And you know what that is? That's all because you're listening. So want to thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your subscriptions, your likes, and all that you have done to help me get the gospel to the world. Thank you very much to our study. 1 Peter 2, 18 through 20 is in a context about submission. Submission to those in authority over us for our own good as well as for the reputation of our Lord. That's what we've been talking about, right? 1 Peter 2, 11 through 17 that we've covered so far. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king." This is what we have been talking about. And after today, as we get into 1 Peter 2, 21 through 24, we're going to be talking about our Lord's example and how to go about and, and, and do the very instructions that we're seeing, where it says, Here unto you were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow in his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who... When he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, whose own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live under righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. So when we look at Jesus, when he's taken to the cross, when he dies, and when we see the way that he responded to the charges and, and they vilified him, Yet he didn't respond in like manner. So we got to put all this in context and, and it doesn't end there. We get into chapter three, the wife submitting to the husband and there it's the husband that's not even a Christian. First Peter three and verse one, likewise ye wives being subject to your own husbands that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. So it's Submit yourself to your husband, Christian woman, even those that aren't believers, even those that have not accepted and obeyed the gospel, let your conduct speak out. It's important to remember this. 
Now, what we're going to talk about today, because of the history of slavery and the United States of America, it leaves a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. I know over the years that as uh, I have taught about being servants in the scriptures, that it hits people a little bit because of the history in the country that I live in. We need to understand and set our minds right from the jump that this is not talking about what has happened in America. It is written, you know, 1,400, 1,500 years uh, before anything in American history about slavery ever came about. In fact, when we talk in the Bible about slavery, about being servants, it goes way back. I mean, when you look into the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 14, verses 14 and 15, when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan, divided himself against them. He and his servants by night and smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. You got servants for generations in Abraham's family that he put into battle. Uh, in Genesis chapter 20, verse 14, Abimelech took sheep and oxen, men servants and women servants, and gave them to Abraham and restored him, Sarah, his wife. Context there uh, about some things that went on where uh, Abraham wasn't forthcoming about who his wife was, so forth, so on. But the point being, Abimelech gifted men and women servants to Abraham. In Genesis 37, verse 28, when Joseph was delivered by his brethren into a pit, the Midianites, merchantmen, drew and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph to Egypt. Later in that text, verse 36, the Midianites sold him to Egypt, in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. Look, it's not about race. It's not about uh, preference of, you know, a higher place in society. Joseph was a prophet of God, of the children of Israel. He sold into slavery because of the wrongdoing of his brethren. In Exodus chapter 1, the children of Israel are enslaved, where in verse 8 through 14, there rose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. He said to the people, behold, the people of the children of Israel are more mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them. Let us then multiply. And it came to pass that when they fall out the war, they joined also our enemies and fight against us. And so get them up out of the land. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and all manner of service in the field. All their servants were, and they made them serve with rigor. When you look at the history of slavery, look, it goes way, 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 way back, 6,000 years uh, into the past and uh, involves all sorts of races. When you think of just being servants in households, think of the aristocrats that had servants, butlers, People that lived 
in, in different chambers of large homes that were maids and servants throughout the household. So the idea of being a servant, of being a slave, it goes vastly across world history, covering many different types of things from in slavery due to invasion of countries, uh, God sending his people into slavery like we see uh, multiple times and you know throughout the Old Testament, all nations, all races. So we need to right now, if you're a citizen of the United States of America, it doesn't matter what color skin you have, you need to not be thinking about the lesson that we have here in the context of American history. You need to be able to think about it in the broader scope of covering all people that, for whatever reason, may be put into bondage, that may be put into service. People that may have owed debts and made servants because they owed a debt they, they couldn't pay. It's very broad, very broad subject matter. Why somebody is a slave is very, very broad. And you've got to keep it in the context of what we're talking about in 1 Peter chapter 2, we're talking about submission to those that have authority over us. Doesn't matter how they got that authority over us, but submitting to them so that our lives in this world doesn't become worse. Let's say the USA that has an open border right now, that an invading army comes and takes over our country. And I, or you who are listening, or if you're in a different country, wherever you are, however you are, if your country's invaded, and you're put into bondage. 1 Peter 2, 18 through 20 would apply to you if you're a Christian. How you ought to look at being a slave or a servant, as the word is translated uh, in the King James Version, one who is in service, domestic service uh, to another. So how do we react? How do we do? Do we look back and say, well, I'm a Christian. I serve the Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus only. How does God want us to respond? Think about how a Christian might say, well, look, when the children of Israel were in bondage uh, back in the book of Exodus, God came to Pharaoh through Moses and Aaron and said, let my people go. And you might get this mentality of, I'm not supposed to be in, in service to anybody. This study is going to clear this up for us and let us know what would be to occur if any of us were put into service for any degree of reasoning. Now, when it comes to submission, people tend to agree and don't have a problem when the word submission is used as it relates to God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee for you, James 4, 7. And people will kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, throughout the Bible, you know, think just even thinking about the New Testament, being in service to others, like in 1 Corinthians 16, 15, and 16, the Corinthians are told, I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that ye submit yourselves unto such, and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. So those teaching in the word, submit to them. Let them have authority. And then somebody say, well, you're saying that because you're a preacher. No, I'm not saying that because I'm a preacher. I'm saying that because that's in the scriptures. Let me take it to the next step. For those that might think, well, you're just trying to gain authority over someone. Within the church, within the local assembly, Christians are to submit to one another. Ephesians 5.21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. If you really study the scriptures, it's not about getting headship over people. And we'll see that as we go through our lesson. 
In 1 Peter 5, 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you, be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Did you hear that? See, I, I, I've been in discussions where the younger is to submit to the elder. Okay, yes. And then the verse says, All of you be subject one to another. Yeah, it's very clear. Whether it's people that oversight in the church, like elders, Hebrews 13 and verse 17, that the word obey is used. Obey them that rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls that they may give an account and may do it with joy, not with grief, for that's unprofitable to you. Or it's just to one another. Christians are to have a submissive mentality, the mindset that we're to have. In Romans 15, which, you know, you look at the context of Romans 14, 1 through 15 and verse 7, it's talking about the stronger and the weaker brethren in the sense of conscience uh, and things that are authorized in the, the context of the book of Romans. You got Jews and G Gentiles. You got Jews that under law of Moses were taught to keep certain days, to refrain from certain meats. The Gentiles were never taught that. So the Gentiles didn't have issues of conscience when it came to eating, say, for example, camel. But the Jews did because they were taught that that was an unclean animal. Well, those that were strong in conscience and had no problem eating any meat because God authorized it, 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, would have to bear with those that needed time to allow that to sink in. In the midst of that context, Romans 15, 1 through 3 says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. Looking at the mindset of Jesus, being willing to submit to somebody else's conscience. Okay, I'm going to surrender the, my authorized right to eat camels so that I don't offend you, my brother or sister in Christ. That's what we see in Jesus. In Philippians 2, 3 through 8, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robber to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in the fashion as man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Looking unto Jesus, like we're going to talk about in our lesson next week, where we pick up and, and we cover from verse 21 through 23, and then the following week from there, looking at Jesus. Jesus said in John 5, 30, I can't in my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which sent me. So listen to this. If you are a Christian, you are a submissive individual. If you are not a submissive individual, you are not a Christian. It's that simple. If you are Lord over your own life, you have not surrendered yourself to God. You have not surrendered yourself to your brothers and sisters in Christ. You are not a saint. Before we even get into this text, you need to wrap that around your mind. And then if you have a problem with the idea of, Puh, nobody's going to have authority over me, you're ignoring everything I just gave you in the scriptures. That's, that's clear, right? Those are clear passages. When we approach subjects like we're approached today that people might have prejudices with, 
on both sides. You might have people that will think of it from, huh, I'm the master or, huh, I'll never be anybody's servant. Whatever it is, we are all servants of the almighty God and of any and everyone that has authority within the body and without the body over us. If you're not willing to submit, you're not a faithful child of God. So if you're struggling with those things, before you get into this lesson, it's kind of like the chapter began with in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy, envies and evil speaking as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If so, you've tasted the Lord is gracious. If you have a problem with submission, you, you need to set that aside because this lesson will be very difficult for you to hear if you're that person that, I'm not submitting to anybody. Set it aside. Let go of whatever thoughts you have towards the idea of being a servant or being a slave, house servant, whatever you want to call it, maid, butler, whatever you want to call it. Set it aside. You need to purge that from your mind. So our text today says servants. Now listen, that would be house servants, field servants, cotton pickers, whatever it is, right? Whatever it is, the children of Israel being told to make bricks and not being given the right supplies, whatever it is, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if, when ye be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if, when ye do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. So let's unpack it. The instruction to be subject to masters. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through 25, says, Servant, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong that he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. So with God, it doesn't matter whether you're a servant or a master. What does matter is that you obey your role. And think about the language that we just talked about there in Colossians 3, 22 through 25. The idea of not with eye service. That is not only when you're being watched, not only under your master's eyes. It's not do good while he's watching, then go and do anything that you want when he or she is not. No, but your service ought to be with singleness of heart. The idea is sincerity or a virtuous heart, a heart without hypocrisy. In that service, you're to fear God because you are going to receive judgment for God for the wrong that you have done. And he is not a respecter of persons. He's not going to grant you clemency based on your role, master or servant, right? And I mean, when you, if you were to read on, Colossians 4.1, Master is given to your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you have a master in heaven. Look, we're all under the authority of God, and God is watching. 
He is watching. So servants, if you're put into the position of being a servant, with fear, Ephesians 6, 5 through 7 says, servants be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Notice the same thing that Paul wrote there in Colossians 3, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Remember who is your Lord. Almighty God above, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is watching. They are taking note of how we're going to obey those that we're supposed to be doing service to. Listen, even if your master is a Christian. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, says, They that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the doctrine which is according to godliness, what do you do with those people? It says he is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strife of words, wherefore cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmises, perverse disputings of men, corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such, withdraw thyself. So the person that would tell anybody to do anything differently ought to be withdrawn from, ought to be backed away from. Listen, that's clear, right? That's very, very clear. There's no way to get around that. So if a Christian was in service to a Christian master, that's, that's not the time where that Christian takes advantage of that relationship. That's the time where that Christian does exactly what he's supposed to do, behave as an obedient servant. To think about what we were talking about in context to obeying civil government, and I read it earlier in, in chapter 2 and verse 16 of 1 Peter, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. Don't, don't sit back and say, well, I'm a Christian, and this frees me to do as I would want, or, hey, brother, you ought to be easier on me because I'm, I'm your brother in Christ. No, think about what that would make that master. It would make him a respecter of persons. Think about all the problems that that could cause. Think about all the, the issues with the other slaves that might come about from that, right? And then think about those servants that might in that household say, hey, I know how to make my life easier. I'm going to become a Christian. And they might, they might put on the outward appearance. They might be immersed into to, to water, uh, but not into Christ with the idea of this is going to make my life easier. No, no. And why would a Christian who who is a servant even put their brother or sister or both in Christ in that position? I want you to think about this. If, if El Paso, Texas, here where I live, was invaded by a foreign army, and one of my brethren somehow, some way, found favor in the sight of that, that invading country, and became higher up in government. I and I was made a slave. 
I would, I would hope that he would purchase me or that she would purchase me. And I would not take advantage of that position, but I would know, hey, I'm going to be in good hands with my brother or sister in Christ because they answer to God. And I would work as hard as humanly possible. And if they did give me preferential treatment, I would remind them, hey, don't be a respecter of persons. Treat me as you do your other servants. Remember how God judges you as a master, so you ought to treat us all well. And you know what? On the first day of the week, we'll be brethren. And then as soon as, as that is over, it's not that we would cease to be brethren, but I'm going to get back to work. I'm going to do as you want me to do. You're my master. Don't take advantage of that person. I want you to think about the book of Philemon uh, for a minute. There's a, a slave named Onesimus that had escaped Philemon. I want you to think about this. What if, what if you're a Christian and a servant escaped and the law says put that servant to death because he's been disobedient or put him in shackles or whatever the punishment might be? What if he becomes a Christian while he's away? Well, Philemon, one chapter book, verses 8 through 22 says this, Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He's writing from prison. He says, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I've begotten in my bonds. So that's language that indicates Onesimus became a disciple while they were in prison, right? In verse 11, which in times past was not which in times past to thee unprofitable, but now is profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again. Thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. So listen, Paul says, I could have kept him with, with me, and he could have done me service in, in your name. But Paul says, no, no, I'm not going to take advantage of this relationship. He belongs to you. I'm sending him back. That's the idea conveyed in the wording that we just read. Uh, he says, verse 15, for perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever, not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt do more than I say. But withal, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust through your prayers I shall be given to you. Paul, Paul does a great thing as a brother in Christ here. If he owes you anything, put that on mine account. He's trying to alleviate any punishment that may happen to Onesimus as he returns to Philemon. But notice Paul doesn't say, hey, he's a brother. He, he's no longer a, a servant unto you. Oh, he's a servant. He belongs to you. He's your property. But receive him as a brother. And Paul's appealing to him. And then I love it. Hey, I'm going to come visit you, provide lodging for me. So, hey, listen, Philemon, 
I'm going to come and see too. I love it. Great book, great study, a lot of different things. And Paul is confident that Philemon is going to receive him back. It's not, hey, he's a brother in Christ. You have no right to enslave him. No, he's property. That's what happens with slavery. Again, if my brethren purchased me in an auction, I belong to them. I need to behave as their property. Maybe that's hard for people in modern culture, especially in the United States of America, to accept. But if that were to occur, you got to get it through your mind real quick so that you don't lose your soul. That that's what happened in whatever state you are. Listen, as strangers and pilgrims in this world, right? That's that's what the context of what we're talking about. You're just passing through. Unfortunately, I mean, I don't think anybody would like to be owned by another human being, but if that were happening, you'd have to set your mind clear. I'm a stranger and a pilgrim. If this is the, my lot in life, this is what I got to live through in this world, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it wholeheartedly because my life is really in front of me. It's not in this world. You'd have to consider, if I hold back, that's likened unto embezzlement. And Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, exhorts servants to be obedient to them that are own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining. There's the idea of embezzlement, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. It's like you're stealing. And keep this in mind, just as a side point, with employment. With employment, we receive wages as payment for services rendered. Don't steal from your employer. In that regard, you're essentially a servant. During that time on the clock, quote unquote, you're, you're, you're bought and paid for, right? That's the idea of a servant. You're bought and paid for. If you work, you know, 2 a.m. To, to 2 p.m., 2 a.m. to 2 p.m., you better do your job. Don't be a thief. Don't rob wages for nothing. Good points for all of us to consider. But, but Brian, what about the master who's not good to me? What about the wicked master? What about the master that treats me bad? You remember what we read here in our context? Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. Listen, Things in life aren't always going to be fair or well. Remember what happened back in Genesis 16, 1 through 9, where Sarai, Abram's wife, before they're called Abraham and Sarah, bearing no children. So she has a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. Sarai said to Abraham, or Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go into my maid, and it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai, and Sarai Abram's wife took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dealt, <coughs> excuse me, had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan, gave her a husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid unto thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. Lord, judge between me and thee. Abraham said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth 
thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain of way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence camest thou, and whither thou goest? And he said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hands. That would be the expectation according to our text, right? Don't make God look bad by being disobedient to those that have authority over you, even if they're abusing that authority. 1 Timothy 6, 1, let as many servants as under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. If I run away, then the charge is, look how these Christians behave. Look how these people that say they're godly behave. I bought and paid for this person. Or if you're born in the house, like we talked about earlier with Abraham's servants that he sent off to war in Genesis 14, 14, and 15, whether I'm bought or raised in that household, he's run away. That makes Christianity, that makes our Lord look terrible. We don't repay evil for evil. We're going to talk about that in 1 Peter 3, 9. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarized blessing. Know that there until you're called that you should inherit a blessing. We see that with Jesus next week. In fact, think about Jesus. Think about his mindset. Let's come back to the mindset of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28, there came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. Said to her, What wilt thou? She said to him, Grant thee, that these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand, the other on the left, in thy kingdom. Jesus answered and said, You know not what ye ask. Are you able to keep, drink of the cup that I drink with, be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? They say to him, We are able. Say to them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism, excuse me, that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared to my father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him. You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. And they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. Whosoever be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Listen, the master, servant, slash slave idea, like we said initially, it carries with it a negative connotation in the minds of a lot of people, especially in the United States of America. Got to absolve yourself of that thinking. We are servants when we are in Christ. And that is the position of the greatest. The idea of to be a minister is to be an attendant, a host. That's the idea. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister the, the, the language of whosoever be chief among you, let him be your servant. In Matthew 20 and verse 27 that, that I had read, doulos, the Greek word, means a slave, a bondman, a person of servile condition. 
You are to have this mentality to be a servant, not to be the person who thinks of yourself as a great and high and mighty individual. That's pride, right? And pride cometh before destruction, a haughty spirit before fall, Proverbs 16, 18. That's not the behavior of God's children. You're supposed to have the mentality of a servant. So from there and breaking down our text, the text says it's thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. If we're going to suffer, it is better if we suffer under false charges. When we get into chapter 3 of 1 Peter, verses 16 and 17, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil doing. When we talk about the conscience, and we have discussed this already when we we're talking about obeying civil government, and we read in Romans 13, 5, wherefore you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but for conscience sake. We can have a clear conscience when we know that the things we're suffering are wrongfully, not that we're supposed to or have earned what has come to us. The language in Matthew 5, 11, blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you, say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake, as he was talking to his disciples. The idea of suffering, think about what the apostles went through. And think about how thankworthy comes into play. In Acts 5, 40 through 42, to him they agreed, that is, the council agreed to the what Gamaliel said. When they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. They departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. The apostles rejoiced that they could suffer for, for the name of Christ and they suffered under incorrect charges, under abuse of authority, under the hands of evil men. We are told in the context of authorized liberties, Romans 14, 16, let not your good be evil spoken of. If we find ourselves in a position to be a servant, or you might think of it in positions of employment, don't put yourself in a position where somebody can say something about you and it be a correct charge. If you suffer, let it be that you suffer for false charges. Otherwise, what good is it if you're enduring suffering for something you've actually done? You know, if a Christian goes to prison because the authorities have decided they want to silence that saint, like we see with Paul and Silas in Acts 16, they can rejoice. But if a Christian goes to prison because they've stolen something and broken the law, there's no rejoicing in that. In 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice inasmuch as much you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, 
you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. On their part he's evil spoken of, but on your part he's glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or a busybody in other man's matters. And if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. So you're put into service, you're purchased, you're born into it, however it comes about, however wrongfully it comes about. And you decide, I'm going to run away. And you run away. And they send out that search party, and that search party finds you and beats you and beats you and beats you and brings you back and makes your service even worse. You're going to have to endure, or you're just going to go through more. But there is nothing to rejoice in. On the other hand, if you're doing your task as your master has required, and you're beaten for being a good servant, you can rejoice and that your reward will be in heaven. Think about what Jesus went through. In Matthew 26, 67, they spat in his face, buffeted him. Others smote him with the palms of their hands. How terrible, how terrible. What did Jesus do? Nothing but teach the truth and come and offer salvation to the very people that are doing this. The idea of buffeted is they, they, they hit him with their fist. They were punching him. They spit on him. What'd he do? Nothing to deserve it. He's the just one, right? First Peter 3.18, Christ also suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Nothing. We need to understand these concepts because they apply in our mentality as Christians. Jesus used this and, you know, we don't see in a lot of cultures in the world today, masters and slaves as we have in the past. So sometimes illustrations fall, you know, kind of on deaf ears because it's not as understood. But think about the way Jesus taught using the mindset of a master and a servant, of a ruler and a steward to teach what you're expected of. And Luke 12, 42 through 48, the Lord said, Who then is a faithful and wise steward, him whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give him their portion in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Of a truth, I say, he'll make him ruler over all that he hath. But if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, eat and drink and be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, in an hour which he is not aware will cut him asunder and will appoint him his portion with unbelievers. And that servant, which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knoweth not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required. And him whom men have committed of much of him will they ask the more. So Jesus gives this teaching illustration that the servant who understands what his Lord wants him to do and doesn't do it is going to be beaten with many stripes. Then the other illustration, that he that did things that were worthy of stripes, beaten with few because he did not know. The idea is accountability according to your knowledge and abilities. So if we're in service... That is the mindset we ought to have. If I'm able to do it and my master expects it of me, I am supposed to do it. 
If I don't, I can expect a beating on the level of the, my ability to live up to those expectations. Think about it, folks, because that's looking forward to judgment to a degree, right? Jesus gives that illustration and looking forward. How much do we get it? Think of yourself as a slave and understand that Jesus is your master. What's he expect when he comes? There you go. If, coming back to the point, but if you do well and suffer for it, take it patiently, you endure, that's good, right? Luke 6 and verse 22, blessed are you when men shall hate you, separate you from their comfort, reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. It's good. Whether individually or even congregations, like the, the church in Smyrna in Revelation 2, 8 through 11, these saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works, tribulation, poverty, but thou art rich. I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things that thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. And you shall have tribulation ten days. The idea is limited time. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit say to the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt in the second death. Looking forward. If I'm put into slavery or I suffer for righteousness sake, I just need to be able to look at it and say, this is temporary. The reward is still ahead of me. Think about in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 12, Paul says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. Look at Paul's mentality. I'll, I'm in prison. I'm doing this for the sake of my brethren. I'm willing to die. Why? Because if I suffer with him, I'm going to reign with him. That's it. Look forward. And then th that that language, uh, you know, that that we look at in our in our study today, I'm going to suffer according to the will of God. And I know God's got my back here. First Peter four nineteen. Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him and well doing as unto a faithful creator. He's going to keep his word. I just have to endure, if for righteousness sake, unto the end so that I can be saved, Mark 13, 13. That's it. So if you are pressed into slavery, obey your master. Don't use you being a Christian as an excuse. Don't use it. And if you're not a Christian, and you're, you're thinking about this lesson you know, and how it all applies. This is God advising us and giving us a pattern of how to live in this world and not suffer at the hands of those of authority. That our reward can be great in heaven. When you keep your head down and you're not a troublemaker, as we've been studying in this context, Life in this world is easier. And here's the beauty of Christianity. Here's the beauty of the New Testament scriptures. 
our Lord, whether it's through his mouth and then directed through the pens of men or through the work of the Holy Spirit through the apostles, gives us instructions that gives us the easiest way to live in this world, face as little as possible. Think about it. If you were put into slavery and you were rebellious, you would be beaten you would be beaten over and over again. Your family, if you have any, would be used against you. But if you did your job, what master, and I know that there are those that would abuse you anyway, but what master wouldn't eventually see that? Again, there's always exceptions, right? So our Lord gives us instructions that makes life in this world as easy as possible to live. Great words of wisdom. But they're not just suggestions. They're commands. Not only for those that would do us well, but those that would do us harm. Our next study, I read earlier verses 21 through 24. Next week, we're going to talk about verses 21 through 23. And we're going to look at Jesus as that example that he left behind, that we should walk in his steps. Listen, the Lord of Lord, the King of Kings, the living word, the creator came into this world as a servant. He suffered at the hands of evil men and he did not respond in like manner. That's our example. And that is where we will pick up next week. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this lesson has been thought-producing for you and has given you some things to chew on. It's a great context. It really, really is. Covers service from multitudes of levels. Like, like I said, even when we get into chapter three, we're going to keep talking about submissiveness. Great stuff to think about. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that all goes according to plan. Uh, podcast will be out on Tuesday with uh, Scott Hamilton and I talking about eldership. Until then, I will say goodbye and thank you. <laughs>